Hi, I'm Bill Osmolsky with the McIver Institute, and this is our McIver Newsmakers podcast. I'm here with Senator David Craig. Senator, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Fantastic. It's a nice, uh, nice slow July after the budget's uh, in effect now. Yeah, and we're uh, in the legislature. We're just kind of settling into all the policy that's been delayed uh, in getting done because of the budget. So we're settling in on committee work and all the other things that the legislature needs to do over the course of the next few months. And the budget's obviously going to drive, how the budget played out is going to drive some of that. Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking about something as comprehensive as the budget touches absolutely every policy area, every agency and state government and local government and school districts, uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of money uh, that's going to be expended and there's going to be a lot of oversight that the legislature needs to engage in. Great. So why don't we start off by talking about what did Governor Evers get that he wanted in this budget? Yeah, I think I think the main thing, uh, you know, so so we can talk about first how the Joint Finance Committee and the legislature removed all of the terrible un, unbudget related uh, policy that was in there, driver's licenses for illegal immigrants, the, uh, the marijuana legislation, all the things that that should never have been in the budget document in the first place removed. The big thing that the government that the governor got um, was dramatic increases in, in state spending. And that's the most problematic. Uh, the governor got some revenue increases also uh, via, via the transportation system, via local government. So there are uh, a number of issues that uh, I certainly struggled with as a conservative seeing in the budget, but at the end of the day, uh, the governor won out on those issues. So he got, even though he didn't get his policy issues, he got a lot of, the, a lot of what he wanted in terms of spending, even though he won't quite admit it. Yep. Um, what did uh, you know when the vetoes came around? What did he uh, make sure that? What re- what did Republicans want that he made sure that they did not get using his vetoes? You know, I think um, I, I think a number a number of things, uh, a number of positive reforms that we've had in the past, whether it be related to to welfare and making sure that individuals that that shouldn't be receiving welfare aren't receiving welfare. The governor uses veto pen to to regulate a lot of that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the, the biggest bang that the governor got using his veto pen was, was an increase in spending, uh, which a lot of folks around here didn't anticipate. That's something that we've got to focus on in the future to fix. Yeah, so um, I like to you know, explain to people when it comes to the, you know, the governor's you know, very powerful veto pen, it's a lot more powerful in the hands of conservatives typically than it is in liberals because you can only use the line item veto to take, things out of, take items out of the budget. You can decrease spending, but you can't increase spending, but somehow Governor Evers found a way to do that. Yeah, so, so we have fairly intricate case law, as, you, as we've seen. The legislative line item veto really came into, into, into its own in the 1930s, and then we've had subsequent cases in the 80s and 90s uh, dictating uh, through, the, through the state Supreme Court how the, the line item veto could, could work. And so what we've seen is a curtailing of that, what they call the Vanna White veto and what they've called the Frankenstein veto, where the, where the governor can't carve out individual letters. The governor uh, can't carve together different sentences. And part of that uh, body of case law also said that uh, the governor can strike an amount and write in a reduced amount, but he can't write in an increased amount. And, and the problem we had here was where the governor, inside a sentence, could strike out words and jump to new numbers, and that's what happened here. And so that's not something that's been addressed in case law, um, but I, 
I, I'm of the opinion that uh, if you're going to look at the, the original understanding of how that amendment was adopted, I don't think anyone would have envisioned uh, a governor being able to, to blow through what is the core authority of the legislature, the power of the purse, and that's what the governor's done here. So I, I, don't, uh, I don't disagree with folks who say, hey, why, why do you need to do anything uh, with a constitutional amendment? We already have a constitution that, that addresses this. Uh, I think uh, there is a strong argument that we do need a constitutional amendment, and I think that we, we need to address this uh, very quickly. And we have that ability under, under our current constitutional structure to do that. Let's have the governor go on the record. The governor's already called us you know, names for, for wanting to be responsible in the legislature to take control over the power of the purse and make sure that he can't increase spending, that he can't obligate the taxpayers beyond what the legislature has already addressed. And so we need to go through that process. We need to have the, the, the public's input, pass legislation in the next two sessions of the legislature, have the, have the statewide referendum. And the governor, the governor should be willing to, to talk to the taxpayers and say why that's such a bad idea, that the legislature should maintain the power of the purse. And um, what kind of uh, reception have you gotten towards the idea of, uh, of uh, amending the state constitution? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, we've had individuals on the right uh, and the left supporting it. You know, and you've got you know, liberal individuals like Jay Hack talking about how we need to revisit the authority because of how expansive the governor's authority is, unmatched in any other state, unmatched by the federal government, obviously, where you've had case law that said, no, the governor, that, the, that the president can't do anything remotely like the line item veto here in Wisconsin. And you talk to the average taxpayer, they understand that there's three branches of government, that those three branches do their thing, and that they shouldn't be intruding on the other's territory. And what the governor has done here is a clear intrusion into the core authority of the legislature. And so what we're hearing is, yeah, there are, going to, there are some dissenters, you know, the radical left that doesn't like this because Tony Evers is their guy and he's used it to, to, to pad the, the, the cushion of the largesse of state government. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that these refer the, the referendum, when it gets to that, after we pass in the legislature, which I think we'll do, I think is going to be overwhelmingly supportive of what we're putting forward. Yeah, and this seems to be... Um... Uh, politically speaking, this is, it seems to be the, the best way to approach this in that the only other option is to actually sue him over the side of the right. budget. And then it becomes not about the governor's power. It becomes, why don't you want to give school kids another $100 towards their education? So yeah. this kind of removes the whole uh, individual policy discussion. This makes it strictly about the governor's power. Yeah, and I think, I think we're, we're at the point in state government where... Uh, you know what, if the governor's going to dig in on something like this, something that I think is a fairly extraordinary use of, of power, then the people need to have their imprint on that. And, and so if the governor talked about how this is the people's budget, then he shouldn't fear the people uh, voting on how he used his veto authority. And that's, and largely it's, in large part, it's going to be a referendum on what, on what he did. Uh, but uh, in even larger part, it's going to be a, a vote to make sure that he can't do it in the future. Yeah, and I, I probably should have said this up front. I mean, this was no small change that he made. I right. mean, uh, in per pupil aid, it seemed like a small change, but ultimately, I mean, we're talking like an eighty-five million dollar change in the budget. Yep. Yeah, it's a dramatic spending increase. Uh, you know, as as the the education budget was was going through the legislature, I think I think most folks uh, on on the Republican side thought, oh, you know, this is this is a substantial amount. 
uh, and and that it would that it would get school districts comfortable with the budget. That clearly wasn't the case because immediately after the budget was passed, we had the Wisconsin Association of School Boards come out with a recommended prefab <laughs> language on how the governor could improve the budget. And lo and behold, that's exactly what he did. So I think from the, from the get go, um, there were people that were planning and plotting how to make sure that the spending increase happened. Uh, it's, it's a fairly uh, elapsed uh, period of time in which that work was done, so I have a feeling that there was research being done many, many weeks in advance of the, of the legislature actually passing the vote before it actually happened. Yeah, I mean, it was a very creative use of that, that veto pen. I mean, uh, I've been trying to clear up with people for you know a couple of weeks now, you know, how was he able to do this? So, yep. he, oh, he had to cross this off, that yep. off, so clearly so this wasn't something that people were anticipating or even think, think it was possible for right. the most part. Yeah, and it was it was very creative. I would I would say that the language that we had in there, where you had a pre-existing number that was looking out f into into future years, it was some pretty s sloppy drafting, and that's that was our fault in the legislature for having something like that in the first place. And then with that combined with you know the governor's veto authority, made for I think a, a total disaster for taxpayers. So, with your uh, with your resolution, what what path does it need to take to become part of the constitution yep. and? Uh, where is it at right now? Yeah, so it's out for co-sponsorship right now, which is really the first step. So we've introduced the language. Um, I, I'd urge your, your viewers to call, contact your legislators, have them co-author, co-sponsor the, the legislation. And what we'll do then is we'll get it uh, formally introduced uh, with the Senate President's office and hopefully have a vote uh, through the committee process, in, I'm hoping in late summer and into the fall, so that it's ready for our, our fall floor session. There would have to pass both houses uh, this session, which will adjourn in spring of, of 2020, and then we would come back in in the spring of 2021 and pass it again, uh, would be my hope and expectation, and then it would go to the voters, uh, and the voters would have their say-so. Just so we're perfectly clear, uh, constitutional amendment resolution, that is not something the governor has any say in. That's correct. Yeah, and it's uh, as 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 terrible as an authority that the governor has with a with a line item veto. We do have a flexible constitution here in Wisconsin, kind of unlike the federal constitution, where it is a behemoth effort. Uh, we can we can pass legislation, get it through both bodies, consecutive sessions of the legislature, have it go to the to the people of Wisconsin for a referendum, and if it passes, it's 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 now the supreme law of our land. Um, so it's. Uh, we're, we're not left without options when a governor does what he did, and, and we're hopefully going to exercise that option. Sounds great. Well, you got a little bit of a, of a journey ahead of you on this, yeah. but we appreciate you taking the time to uh, walk us through it and talk about, uh, talk about the situation. So, yeah. again, uh, for the McIver Institute, I'm Bill Smolsky. I've been joined here by Senator Dave Craig, and uh, thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm.